Amen. What's up, guys? How many of you guys ready for 2018? Sometimes you hear that. I'm like, some people are like, I don't even care. It's gonna be, I had to go to work the next, when I go back to 2018. But I'm going to pray right now, and I believe that God has something for us for this new season. And I'm going to share, according to the word, I'm going to share a word that God has given for me and for us. And I also want to share my feeling heading into the new year with you guys. And I just pray that all this will just work out. And then we're going to have a tag team, triple team, you guys today. Amen? So, Father God, I just thank you for this day, Lord God. I thank you for the snow. I thank you for the cold. I thank you for the hot. Lord, I thank you for the Gatorade. I thank you for everything, Lord God, and you have given to us today, Lord God. But, Father, I just pray you just have your way, Father. I pray that we, I know that there are, there are people in seasons, Lord God, that they ask you to come out of, Lord God. And you are a faithful God, Lord God. And what you're going to do in this new season, no matter what it looks like, Lord God, it's going to happen, Lord God. So I pray that we'll give us the ability and the anointing to prepare the people of God, Lord God, today for a new season that's upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen. I went through a, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and stuff like that, but I went through a, a, in preparing for this, I always have to try to find the connection. Now you read a scripture, you say what the word says, but if it doesn't relate to me, I'm like, I, I can't do it. So I go into these seasons of like days, like I'm in the car, I'm driving, I'm just staring into nothing. And she's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? In my mind, I say, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, how do I connect to the word that God has given to me? And a big feeling came over, I was sharing that with the leaders in the, in the back, is that I'm afraid of 2018. I was never afraid of the new season because I, I kind of knew, or, or even though I hoped, I kind of knew it was going to be the same thing. Good things will happen, God will minister, God will go do good things, but eventually I will have to keep going through this bumpy road and bumpy road and bumpy road. I was like, yeah, I'm happy for the new year because I know what to expect. But what happens when you don't know what to expect in 2018? What if this this is the year that everything changes? What if this is the year that the promises you asked for, that you kind of gave up on, actually happened this year? And I felt that in my spirit, and I was like, I'm scared. I'm so used to the same old bumpy road every single year. It's good and hallelujah, blessings upon us. And we go through like a month of like torture and frustration. By the end of the year, you're back up again. Like, yeah, it's good. A new year is coming. Maybe I'll get out of this one. But I'm going to share a portion of scripture where in this new season, we need courage. Courage to accomplish whatever God has before us. Like I said before, I'm scared, not a fearful, spiritual, fearful scared, but I'm scared because I've been used to something for so long, and God's about to say, now is the time. Now is the time. I've been prepping you all these years for something this, of, of, of this magnitude, and it's time to do it. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what it looks like, but it's God's telling us to have courage. Amen? So I'm going to read the definition of courage. There's two definitions, and you're going to see two definitions in the story. It says, courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. And the other version says, and the strength to face, the phrase, excuse me, the strength in the face of pain and grief. I'm going to read uh, Mark 5, starting at verse 22. I want you guys to kind of like follow along with this. So I'm going to read it quick through, okay? 
It says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Here it goes again. You're asking for a blessing. And now everybody's coming and surrounding where you're asking God to do something for you. And now someone else is taking like almost like a blessing before you. I don't know if you ever felt like that before. but um, And a woman was there who had subject of bleeding for 12 years. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came, upon, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I, ju- if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in, she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power, that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched, me? who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith is healed. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to Je- the house of Jairus, the, syn- the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother, te- why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, this, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. I'm going to talk about the scenario first with the woman of issue of blood. How many of us been in situations where it's been a long, long time? You have invested time, you have invested money, you have hoped in people that were supposed, this is, a, this is a big issue for me, hoping people to do things for you that were supposed to help you and end up making the situation worse. In her situation of feeling the situation was hopeless and everything she did did not work, she heard of Jesus. And in hearing of Jesus, she said, if I can just, she made up in her mind, if I could just touch him, I can be healed. Ain't nobody tell her to do that. I don't think there was a record in the Bible where somebody touched Jesus before this and got healed. I'm not sure. I don't remember anything like that. But in her faith in that moment, said, I am so desperate that if I can just do this at least, I know I will be healed. Some of us come to a season where it's been 12 years of frustration, maybe longer, and you have exhausted everything, your time, your money, your friendships. I don't know about you. You have a lot of friendships where it's just like you've been years and years and all of a sudden it ends. What you got out of it was like stress and frustration. Wasting time and wasting time. But she made up in her mind to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. And when she did it, it moved God and she got her healing. But in the process of that, the one that called him to come over and to heal his daughter, placed hands on his daughter for her healing, found out his daughter died. That's like another scenario of people waiting for God to do something, and it seems like God is too busy. I know that God is not busy. I know he's all over the place. But sometimes we see like, why are you doing it for them? You ain't doing it for me. Why are they getting their healing? Why are they getting their blessing? Why are they getting their prosperity and I'm not? Now, it's, what's the point of bothering Jesus? What's the point of asking him to do anything? I went through this. When I was, when I was doing this, I was, I was asking God. I was like, look, I don't, I don't know what's coming for the new year. 
I'm waiting for God to do things in my life. I'm waiting for God to open doors. Not to say he's not, you know, it sounds like he's not doing anything for me. I'm just sitting at, a, at home doing nothing. But he's, he's moving and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes when you're waiting for an event to happen or something to occur and it doesn't happen, you go weary. And you get frustrated. And I said, Lord, what do I do? What do I do in this new season? How do I attain? If I, I can't go to touch Jesus' cloak. I, I kind of make things like, I always say, GED-ish. I always make it plain and simple with my life. Jesus is not here me for grabbing his cloak, so how do I do that? How do I receive my healing? How do I receive my blessing? My children's not dying. What do I have to believe in? How do I hope in this new season? What am I expecting to happen in this new season? And the Lord led me to this thing. A, a friend of ours called us, called my wife, and she said, uh, I have a word for your husband. So I, I read the word, and, you know, I'm like skeptical with everything. So I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? It don't mean nothing to me. How does that apply to me? So I, get, I, get, I sit in my room, and she, she, thank God she leaves me alone in the room to, like, argue with God and argue with the text and all, all this nonsense. So I'm sitting there arguing, what's the point of this? What's the point of this? And she sends me a song. And in the song is the word of God that's for my life for this new season and it's for your life in this new season. I'm not going to sing the song, but I'm going to read the words to the song. So. I wish, you know, that's one thing I don't trust the anointing for is for me to sing. I don't trust that anointing to come over and I start singing. But, my paper. All right, ready? I just want you to close your eyes right now. Whatever stress you're dealing with today, whatever fr- frustration you have, I want you to need to know today that before Jesus died on the cross, he sat with the people. He told them, do this as he broke the bread. This is my body that's been given to you. And he took the cup. And he said, this is my new covenant, the new agreement between me and you now. Do this. And this is what the Lord said to me as you close your eyes. He says, slow down. Take time. Breathe in. He says, I will reveal what's to come. The thoughts in my mind are always higher than yours. I will reveal all to come. Take courage in your heart. Stay steadfast in your soul. I am in your waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. I am never failing. Sing praise in your soul. Find strength in my joy. Let my words lead you on. Do not forget my great faithfulness. I will finish all I began. So take courage. I am in your waiting. I hold the stars and I call them by name. I will surely keep my promises to you. God is truly going to keep his promises to us no matter what the circumstance looks like. No matter what you feel. No matter what you doubt. A new beginning is coming. Are you ready for this new beginning? Have you been waiting so long and it feels like it's never going to come? Do you even know Jesus today? 
that he's faithful to do everything that you need him to do. Every heartbreak, every healing. To bless you, to promote you. To love on you. Maybe those things are dead inside of us now. Maybe they're like foreign to us. But I'm here to tell you today that God is going to do what he promised. And all we have to do is believe that he's going to do it. And some of us need to push forward. I believe God is going to open doors for some people. And you're going to sit back and try not to do anything. And God's telling you, you need to push through and get that. Some things may be easier for you. Some things may be hard for us. You may be used to doing the wrong, the, the wrong thing sometimes. Maybe you're used to um, seeing God this way. But maybe God is going to open a door for you that's going to change your life forever. And never be the same. Will you push through like the woman did? Would you make up in your mind to say, you know what? I'm going to go reach out and grab hold of what's mine. Or we're just going to go through another year where we're just waiting. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. But yet you never do anything. And we never do anything. This is not the all to be all, to be up in a pulpit. That's not everything. We as leaders go through stuff in our own lives and we struggle and we frustrate it. We doubt. We fear. But it comes to a place in our life where God says, I'm going to take you to a next, the next step in your life. Whether it be internal or outside, I want to take you to the next place in your life. I want to show you that I'm faithful. Despite what you see, despite what you're going through, despite what you're afraid of. Can I share what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of doing what he does. I'm afraid of being a pastor. I'm afraid of leading a congregation and a church and have to deal with <laughs> every knucklehead and every frustration and every good thing and every time. And you know how difficult, I can't imagine just being a minister for a short time and like you have to wait for people and talk to them and your heart is for people to see them change. But after a while, you're like, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I get tired sometimes. How can I lead a whole congregation and love on them and show them the way? What does it look like? How do I build things? How do I, you know, I, you don't know nothing. But if God calls us into a new season, whether that be my season or not, whether it be a, a ministry with me and my wife doing something, whatever it may be, would I be afraid when that time comes? I need courage in this new season. We need courage in this new season. God's fulfilling his promises. I believe God is fulfilling his promises to us. And what we do matters. And if we do what he tells us to do, everything will work out for our good. So I want to encourage you today, when you're confused and you don't know what the next step is, and you're like me sometimes, like Thomas, doubting Thomas, where I'm like, I don't touch it, so it ain't coming. It's not real. But a lot of times, if I don't touch it, I don't see it, it's not, you say, oh, just hope. It's almost like a wish. And I just wish sometimes. I wish this could happen. I wish that would happen. But I have no choice now in my life to go push through that crowd and grab hold of God and say, you know what, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you're going to do, I know you're for me and you're not against me and you're going to do it. And I'm going to believe God in this new season. I want you to believe God for your season, your new season in your life. To end the frustration and the tiredness of sin that we hold on to. And we say, this is just a thorn in my side. That's why I keep sinning. Oh, maybe it's time to let that go. 
I think it's a lot of time. I just got this thought in my head. Maybe it's time you get married and stop pretending like you're married, you know? You know, hey, we get that sometimes. In my job, they do that a lot. They say, oh, we married. And it's your husband. Ain't your husband. I had to put a ring. I gotta, my wife sues me. We get divorced. She, gotta, she gets half. You don't, she don't get half. What are you talking about? Half of nothing, actually. We don't get nothing. So. You can have the PlayStation. I'll give it to you. But you know what I'm saying? It's time to step out. What you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Get married. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking about that for. I don't know why. Who's that for? If, you, if you're dating somebody, you love them, and you're faithful, and they're not beating you, and they're not crackhead, and they're not selling drugs, marry them. Love them. Go before the congregation and get married. Right? What's the deal? But you wait eight years. I, I, I know I'm going to marry my wife the first time I met her. I just had to wait a year because I think that was normal to do in the church, you know? I don't think I'm crazy. It was a year, right? We got married? A year, I got married. What are you waiting for? God opens a door for you to start a ministry somewhere. What are you waiting for? Right? If he opens up a, a church for you to, to have a, a, a ministry there, do it. If he gives you a building somewhere where it's just empty and you say, I just feel like doing a daycare, why don't you do it? What's the worst thing that can happen? It fails. So what? Doesn't things fail now? Doesn't it fail when we do things now? Come on. It's a new season. And it required of us is to go out and grab what God has, has for us. It's not going to be like wandering the street where you're like, well, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. No, no, no. God's going to show you where to go. And he's going to show you who the person is. And he's going to show you what to do. And he's going to provide for you the things you need. You just have to take the step of faith and say, I'm going to do it. Do this, what the Lord says. Have courage. He's going to bring you into the place you've been asking for. The place I've been asking for, the place this church has been asking for, and the place that you personally have been asking for. It's time to grab hold of the, of the cloak of Jesus and say, yeah, Lord, I'll do it. Amen? You know, oftentimes in the struggle, oftentimes when we are standing and waiting on the promises of God, we really hold fast to Jesus. We pray, we fast, we cry, we cling, we trust. Do all these things because we're trying to get something. And I don't want to paint that as necessarily a bad thing. Because actually what happens in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of us not having what it is we're hoping for, God is teaching our hearts how to cling, how to trust, how to pray, how to fast, how to believe in the face of impossibility. But then all of a sudden... The promise comes. You touch the hem of Jesus' garment and you're healed. You walk through that door just like Ephraim and Margie did this year and own a new home after hoping and believing for so many years. You finally receive that thing that you've been crying out for, maybe for 12 years, like the woman with the issue of blood. Or maybe like the children of Israel who roamed around the desert for 40 years and finally entered into the promised land. You finally have it. But now what do you do with it? What do you do when that promise comes? How do you take responsibility? Because we often talk so much about what we go through while we're waiting and yet hear so little about what to do when we actually receive it. 
want to read a quote to you. Gathering my notes. I'm sorry, give me one moment. Hello? Okay. Strangely, my notes just disappeared off of my notepad. Very strange. Okay, so my notes just literally disappeared off of my notepad. How that actually happened, I'm not sure. But I'm just going to, the word is in me, amen? That was really strange. There was a quote that I read from the president of Israel. If I'm getting his name right because I don't have the notes in front of me. His name is President Rivlin. I think I'm saying it right. And he quoted um, a piece of Martin Luther King's speech when he was speaking in reference to the promised land. And because I don't have the full quote in front of me, I'm just going to sort of tell you what I remember, which is that when Martin Luther King was talking about that there was a promised land that we we were going to head into, right? That with that promise, we were held to a responsibility. And that in that promised land, there was something for us to walk out. It wasn't just, like I said before, to receive the thing and then, you know, just kind of go your merry way. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, when the children of Israel were getting ready, literally they were on the cusp of going into the promised land. God spoke to Moses and he gave him very specific instructions to tell the children of Israel. And so some of what he says is, be faithful, be faithful to the word, be faithful to the commandments that I've given to you so that you might be prosperous in all that you put your hand to do moving forward when you get there. And it's a beautiful promise and passage of scripture. And in Deuteronomy 29.9, it says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Because God's, his desire, his promise to us is that once we get in, once we receive that thing, that we would prosper in that thing. It's not you come out of the struggle, you come into the promise, and then boom, that's it. There's nothing else. No, there is. There's actually so much more. And so God was trying to teach the people how to grow their promise and prosper them within what they received. Now, the scriptures go on, and there's so much warning about the curses that come upon the children of God, consequences that come upon the children of God when we stand in disobedience to what God has asked us to do with those promises in that promised land. You know, oftentimes, like I said, you know, we, we get something new. We've been crying out. We've been struggling for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, we, we get the thing, and then, then we lose our minds. We don't know how to act. We don't know how to no longer be given after, you know, we struggled financially and we got into that new position at work. And now, all of a sudden, we're making tons of more money but can't give that 10% no more to the church. Because now that 10% just looks way bigger than what it did before. Or I've known some people who have asked God for a home and I've said, you know, God, I want, you know, I, I just want a bigger place for my family and my, my, my parents never had that and my, and their parents never had that and I want to be that first generation that, you know, comes into that blessing and then they get it and then they don't show up on Sunday morning because they're cleaning, making sure everything is spotless, putting the new tile, the backsplash in the kitchen and, and they just, they just totally forget. That there's a house of fellowship that needs them there. 
Because they become idolatrous in what they've been given. And so the Lord warns against that idolatry. Do not make this promise an idol once you get there. Once you get that marriage, don't make it an idol. Did you know that? Did you know that even marriage can become an idol? Your spouse can become an idol. Where everything that you do is no longer the focus is on, I'm going to please Jesus and I'm going to seek his will, but I'm going to, I'm going to run to my spouse. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't honor our spouses. I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider. I'm not saying that we go against the scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that a, a, an unhealthy codependency can grow within a marriage where you no longer are obedient to the call of God on your life and everything that you do is based upon that person. And that's not healthy. Now, I'm not saying that you women or men, that you go on and rebel in your home. That's not what I am saying. I'm saying you pray. I'm saying you fat. Why are you fist pumping me? <laughs> Look at this guy. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is fast. What I am saying is pray. What I am saying is become courageous and rebel against the enemy and his plan and get into the face of God and cry out and ask him to give you what you need to be able to be faithful in that marriage to God. When you get that house, don't just hoard it for yourself or to impress your family or friends. Open that home. Have fellowship. Have prayer. Invite people in that are hungry. Invite people in that you know that, you know what, if you didn't invite them into a nice home, they'd never go into one. Pour out without expecting anything in return. When you get that new job, don't just hold your head up high and pat yourself on the back and become big-headed. No. It's more responsibility. It's more of a reason that you're a leader in that place for you to show grace to that person that's under you in the position that you were once in. It's not for you to boss up and to try to run the show and try to prove yourself better than everybody else. No. Because when you come into that promise, there's a responsibility. And Jesus wants you to do these things in remembrance. In remembrance of who he is and what he did for you. Don't forget what you learned in the desert. Don't forget how you learned how to cry out. Don't forget how you learned how when you, compassion, when you saw somebody hurting, you went to them. Because you knew how badly you were hurting. Don't forget about that. When, when, when the sky is all sunny and the clouds have parted and you have gotten what you have desired from God. Amen. I want to leave you with this one short story. It's found in the book of Luke, and it's about the, it's about the ten lepers. So there were these ten lepers that, um, and well, they had leprosy. And, and if you don't know what that is, I will just sort of liken it to maybe like boils all over the body. And obviously they were in need of healing. <clears throat> and they knew that Jesus was there. And they went to Jesus, and he didn't even have to lay hands on them. As they were approaching him, he looked at them, all 10 of them, and said, go show yourselves to the priest. Like, leave from me. Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they left him, they're on their way, I guess, back to their church to show themselves to the priest. They become completely healed. They look down at their bodies, and they are completely, all the boils, all the leprosy is completely gone. Yet only one 
recognizes that he should go back to Jesus to say thank you. My God. Imagine how long these 10 lepers had this leprosy for. Who knows? Maybe 10, maybe 20 years. Who knows? Maybe since they were young. Who knows? But only one thought that it was necessary to go back and to say thank you. And so the one returns to Jesus. And he goes and he gives him thanks. And he says, thank you for what you've done. And Jesus says to him, but there were 10. Were there not 10 of you? And I can imagine how deeply grieved Jesus was, not because they didn't say thank you. Because I don't think Jesus was offended by that. But because of what happens next. Because immediately after that one came back, Jesus said, now go and I I will make you whole. And I could imagine how Jesus so desperately wanted to make all of them whole. Not just healing that one part. You see, that's probably what they wanted for so long. Just take it away, God. I don't want to have this leprosy no more. And he does it, and they're completely satisfied. But the one said, let me go back. And because he did that, Jesus made him whole. That means in every area. That I'm sure meant to his family, to his friends, to his community, to his congregation, to his social standing. Jesus restored and made whole everything for him. And so it's not enough to just stick out your hand and say, Jesus, give me what I want. But then we go back in remembrance and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We stay with a humble heart so that he can continue to make things whole for us. So with that promise, he can pass that promise down from generation to generation to generation to generation. So that promise is not, it doesn't stop with you. And if we stay grounded with a humble heart and we give thanks for all he has done for us and we keep him in remembrance of the promises, when we receive them, then he will surely grow us. It is not going to be a wellspring of promises that will run dry. It will be a wellspring that will continually produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will continually produce blessing and favor over you and your children and your children's children if you do this in remembrance of him. So do this in remembrance. Amen. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. I wanted the last service of the year to include what I believe to be the highest form of worship. I wanted it to be a communion service. And in case you've been coming to TSF for a while and we haven't had communion and, and some people ask about it, some people get upset about it, some people complain about it. The reason that we don't do it on a set schedule, I'm going to show you today, is actually a grace to you. It's a grace for us. See, I I remember growing up in a tradition that took communion every Sunday. And some of you might have grown up in in that kind of 
uh, tradition. Some of you might come from a tradition that does it the last Sunday of the month or the first Sunday or the, or the third Sunday or whatever it is. It was a set time. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes in frequency, it's easy to miss the beauty. Sometimes it's, it's easy to take the grace of God for granted, to overlook the significance, to, to become familiar with the fantastic, to be mediocre with the magnificent, to, to lose our sense of marvel, amen? To let the uncommon, that the sinless one would lay down his life for the sinful ones, to let the uncommon be common, that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the Son of God. All right, now y'all were sleeping. Let's, let's get that again. So that, see, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. And so that's why I choose to make it a little less frequent and because I, I don't want to just add communion to any service. Jesus, speaking to his followers about communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So my part today is of me. And, and see, the, the Lord's Supper is the central act of worship. It, it's a prophecy, it's a pledge, and it's a prelude to the supper table of the Lamb where we're going to all sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of our Father. Amen? One day you and I will sit at, a father's, at our Father's house at the table of the Lamb with the men and women that we've only read about and wondered about. And so I'd like to close out this year with giving you a picture that I hope that, you can, um, that you'll never forget regarding communion. This is not anything new. It's no new revelation. It's as old as the Bible, but, but I don't think many people see it this way. And so I just want to give you this one picture in closing. Amen? We get this picture of communion all the way back in Exodus 12. In case you're wondering where this is coming from, Exodus 12. When, when God was using Moses to deliver his people from the Egyptian um, slavery, he sent 10 plagues. Remember we talked about the plagues? And, and uh, on the Egyptians to get Pharaoh to release his people. And we, we talked about this when we talked about all those plagues. And, and, but in the last plague, the most powerful picture of communion God could ever give us, this is what he tells his people. Exodus 12, starting in verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house. One lamb per household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can, can eat, so that you shall make your count for the lamb. So the, your lamb also shall be without spot or blemish, a male, a year old. And then he tells them how to cook it, and he tells them how, how the, the, the lamb should be he didn't want it chopped up. No bones could be broken. It had to be cooked whole and served whole as, as one piece because no bones could be broken. So he tells them how to cook it, how to, how to serve it, how to eat it. And so so, so get, get this picture in your mind for a moment. 
The lamb had to be perfect without spot or blemish. The lamb could not have any of the bones broken. If you were single or from a small family, you'd have to get together with more people to make up a household. So it was community. Communion is community. Communion is a common union. It's a picture of the church, but that's a whole nother. See, when you, when you come to communion, when you have a common union, we don't act the way we act with each other sometimes. All right, that's a whole nother message. Let's, let's go. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood. This is the picture. This might sound a little gross to some of us and in, in our culture. Like we wouldn't, you know, this sounds a little kind of witchcraftish. But, but understanding the culture of that time and understanding um, the sacrifice and understanding how, 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 that, how that was set up. It, it says, verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts of each of their homes and put it on the lintel, the top. So you put it on all three sides of the doorposts. They never put it on the bottom because they didn't want anybody trampling over the blood. It, it, it's, a, it's a picture, okay? So, so you take the blood. So now you ate the lamb together. You took the blood from the sacrificial lamb and you smeared some on the doorposts and on the lintel. And it was an act of cleansing. And what that did was it consecrated the house. The way the, the Jews of that time would have seen this, it, it made the house an altar. Remember, they're living in Egypt, so they don't have temples, they don't have altars, they can't do any of the things that they know that makes them clean, that, that makes them right with God. They're, they're living as, as, as slaves, right? So, so for them, this, would, this, this Passover act signified to the Jews that the blood of a sinless, divinely appointed substitute cleansed their sins and resulted in them being set apart by God. Get this picture, please, watch. Verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. So, so this is not like a regular dinner. You're not going to put your chancletas on and you're, and, and you're chilling at home. It says you're going to eat it with your belt on, your, 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 your staff in your hand. It's like you're ready to go. It, was, it, was, it wasn't like a, a, a leisurely dinner. It was more an act of faith and obedience. And so they did this because God asked them to do this. And so they, they came together to eat of the spotless, blemish-free, sacrificial lamb. And you did it together. And you did it ready for action, ready to move, prepared for what, whatever God was about to do. Verse 12, watch what happens now. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments because I am the Lord. You understand what's happening. The firstborn of every person and every animal, the Lord says, I'm going to kill. For I am the Lord. 13. The blood... The blood that we put on the doorposts shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I, the Lord, see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. 
Another version say, say it this way. When he sees the blood, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into the house. The application of the blood as directed was a, a demonstration of their faith in God's promises that he would pass over them. When I see the blood, I will not allow the destroyer to enter your home. So much of the stuff that we go through is because we've allowed, remember the enemy comes as like, he comes, he, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Now, imagine if you're God's people in Israel at this time. Get this picture in your mind. I want you to to, to lock it in. Imagine if you're God's people in Israel at this time. And you've already seen God send nine plagues that have devastated Egypt. And humiliated all of their gods. Every plague was a direct attack on one of their belief systems. They worshipped the Nile and he turned it into blood. They worshipped the frog god. That was one of their biggest gods. He sent a plague of frogs. So there were thousands and thousands of frogs all over. And then when they prayed for relief, he prayed and all the frogs died. To show them the powerlessness of their gods. And now he says, one after another after another. Now he says, I'll send one final plague. You're going to need a lamb and it's going to have to be perfect a perfect lamb and you're going to take that perfect lamb and you're going to eat of it and you're going to take its blood and you're going to put it on the doorpost and when the destroyer sees the blood he'll pass over you how many of you at this point would have been like nah i'll I'll pass on the blood part how many of you would have been like nah i'm i'm good i'll take my chance with the destroyer And yet, when we come to communion, how many of you will pass the emblems? This was one of the rare times that we read in God's word where God's people actually did what God told them to do. Verse 28 says, Then the people of Israel went and they did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did it. One of the rare times that we read that God's people did exactly what God told them to do. I wonder why. Now the connection is obvious, but let me make it for you plainer, plainer and, 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 and scripturally. Let me connect it. Redemption involves the payment of a price. What was the price of Israel's redemption? It was the lives of the lambs that God provided as the substitutes for Israel's firstborn. See, God will always provide what he requires. Come on, that's good preaching right there. God will always provide what he requires. Right? When he told Abraham, go and give me Isaac, he went and he was ready to do it, and then he provided a sacrifice. So Jesus was saying, the Passover, communion... It's about me. Watch this New Testament now. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Watch. 
John 1.29. John the Baptist says, the next day, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Are, are you seeing the connection? Old Testament, New Testament. 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Are you seeing the picture? Revelations 5.6, and then I saw a lamb looking as it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Family, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And so, so just as the Passover lamb's applied blood caused the destroyer to pass over each household, Christ's applied blood over our hearts causes God's judgment to pass over sinners. So as the first Passover was to be held in remembrance as an annual feast, Christians are to memorialize the Lord's death in communion until he returns, 1 Corinthians says. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do you understand why I don't want it to be common? Do you understand why I don't want it to be just something that we add? You know, we, we preach about uh, the donkey and this and this. Oh, and then we're having communion. It's not, it has to be more than that. Do you understand that? Do you understand, like, when you talk about communion, it has to be the whole thing. It has to be, do this in remembrance of me, Christ says. When you understand the Passover and how communion is a picture of the Passover, the more desperate you are about it. I don't know about you, but I need the blood on the doorposts of my heart. To keep the destroyer out of my... The, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Now, I understand a lot of us might have come from different backgrounds. And so we, we think about it. And the, the scriptures do tell us, don't do this lightly. And that's probably the one scripture that you do believe... And it will keep you from taking communion. Many times we don't feel worthy of taking communion because of sin. Here's what I want you to, what, what I want you to understand about that. The Christian should remember that communion is for sinners. Jesus said, I came for the sick. Amen? If, if you were able to be totally worthy of communion, then you wouldn't need it. Everybody fell asleep? Like, this is good stuff. I don't know. If you were able to be worthy, if you could sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I, I, come on. Like my little crackers. I, I, you know, I can do this. I'm, I'm right with God. I'm right. If you were totally right and you were, then you wouldn't need communion. Amen. The fact that you have to examine yourselves. See, it's not that communion makes sinning okay. 
Communion is a reminder that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. While Christ died as a substitute. Listen, the, the Christians should always war against sin. But, but as Christians, we don't hold, hold themselves. We can't hold ourselves from the table if we're, tr- if we're living in repentance and crying out to God and asking, but haven't had victory in every area. Can I, can I, can I free you in that today? Communion is a common union. It's born out of our union with Christ. Not partaking is not humility. See, I, I always want to conflict the comfortable and, and, and comfort the conflicted and comfort the, right? Not partaking is not human. You can sit there and say, oh, I'm just being humble. You know, I know that I don't, I'm not right. I know. Well, if you're not right, then make yourself right in the time that it takes to get between you and the cracker. You understand that that's not like an excuse? It's not, in the time it takes between do this in remembrance of me, in, in the time, in the in remembrance part, I remember that I'm a sinner. I remember that I fail. I remember that I need God. I remember that the destroyer is all up in my house. I remember that I need the blood. And so I'm going to do this in remembrance of me. Not partaking is not humility. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of belief. See, communion is active. Do this, as you heard Josh say. There's no passivity in it. It's not about sitting around. It's about stepping out. It's about seeking God. It's about going after him. It's about, there's a crowd of people here, but I need a blessing. I'm going to go get mine. If you're comfortable where you're at, you know, sixth row to the right behind the pole. That's you. That's fine. Not me. I need a blessing. I'm going for it. I'm going to touch. Not, not, don't touch my clothes because that's pointless. But, and, and that might be a little weird. But I'm going after God. I'm going to touch him. Amen. Communion is active. Do this. Communion is reflective. In remembrance, as Lee was talking about, communion directs our attention to the work of Christ. It's not about a preacher or a church or a building or a word or a denomination or a theology. Jesus says, take, eat, remember. This is my body which was broken for you. This is the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Communion is active, communion is reflective, communion is redemptive. The scriptures are not saying that you have to do this, the sacrament of communion in order to be saved. That's religion. Forget religion. The thief on the cross, he didn't get baptized and he didn't have communion. And and Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. That just blows everybody's theology and denomination out the window. Where does that guy fit in? He did nothing good. He was there because he was the scum of the earth. 
He only crucified the worst people in those times. That guy was a thief, a murderer, a, he was a bad person. Stood next to Jesus. Jesus said, but why are you here? And, and believed, and in believing, didn't get baptized, didn't get, didn't get a 17 sacraments, didn't, didn't do anything, didn't take communion. He just got, believed. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That throws religion out the window. Jesus says, Jesus' words of me means you have to have me. I am the Passover lamb. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the door. I am the gate. No one comes to the Father but through me. When Jesus uses words like I'm the door, I'm the gate, like those are beautiful pictures, right? Because you can only get in through the door. You can, if something's gated off, you only get in through the gate. He says, he's trying to tell you, I'm the only way you could get in. Anybody comes in any other way is a thief and a robber, the word says. Oh, we can say, oh man, but Christians are so closed-minded. No, that's what the word says. I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light, I'm the gate. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He says, do this. In remembrance of me. And so I'd like to invite you now. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Worship team, you guys can come and just play really softly. The word says. I want to free you to. To step in and partake, but I'm not freeing you. Understand, I'm not giving you license to not examine yourselves. The word says we should examine ourselves. The rest is accepting it and stepping out in faith. And and so what, what I'm going to invite you to do today is we just... Have a, 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 a short time of just some really soft worship. If you're ready to take a step of faith, even if you're not ready at the moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward, grab the emblems and take them back to your seat. And then there I want you to examine yourselves. And when you've made, understand that God has done everything that he could do to make you right with him. That's the beauty. God has done everything that he can do to make you right with him. If it was up to us, we'd never get in. If it depended on just us, we'd never make it. But he's already given you everything you need to live godly, to live holy. He's done everything for you. All we have to do is step out and step into it. So please come. Take the emblems back to your chair. Examine yourselves and pray. Let's please uh, keep the, the talking down. Let's make this a really beautiful, solemn moment. And when you're at your chair and at your time of prayer, I want you to go ahead and partake on your own between you and the Lord.
never taken communion before, if you've never made a decision to say, God, you know, I, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to believe. I want to start the new year trusting in you. I want to start the new year not in a religion, but in a relationship with you, God. A relationship that I can walk with and walk in and lean on and trust. Then I invite you, that even if this is your first time, you can come right up and take the emblems. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you received the elements and you've you've remembered, then just you and God, you can take of of the blood, take of the bread, just you and God alone.
someone's going to instruct you how to do it. Just you and God alone. And you partake in that communion. Let it be personal. Let it be intimate.
And the invitation is extended to anyone who wants to be here and just celebrate in this place. But that's not a requirement <laughs> because this is just the building. But you are the temple and wherever you go, that temple will be there and you will honor God. But if you don't have anywhere to go, you can come here tonight and you can celebrate with us. And we will worship and we will pray and we will bring in the New Year's in excitement and with great anticipation of what God has in store for us for this new year. You are blessed, but before I release you with the blessing, men of God, before you run out those doors, can you help us just set up for tonight? Be a blessing. We dismiss you. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>